boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lads, and those don't forget your gender. Welcome to the GOT Got Questions Podcast with Spencer and Lane. Spencer, say hey to the people. People, I'm here. I'm here with him. We're recording in the same place again. It's finally happened. Uh, I've been clamoring for it. Spencer's been clamoring for it. The people have been clamoring for it. Spencer and I are recording a episode of the GOT Got Questions Podcast together in person from my house in lovely, I'll bet snowy, Hillsboro, North Carolina. Yeah, it's kind of replaced Hillsborough with a Swiss Chateau at this point. What was it, a foot of snow on the ground we have now? Yeah, we got about a foot, maybe a little more. Um, so, uh, and actually this podcast is a result of the snow, because mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, uh, before our friend Chris's wedding, we recorded a Whiskey on the Weekends, which should be out by the time you listen to this. We weren't planning on doing an in-person GOT Got Questions podcast, or at least not the way we're going to do it today, but Spencer, you are snowed in. Spencer had a flight that was going to leave at 5 o'clock today. I got a message at 9.30 saying, uh-uh, you ain't going nowhere. And when they cancel it that far in advance, you know you're kind of screwed. <laughs> the airport is shut down. Yeah. No one's leaving. <laughs> you can't even get a taxi to get there. Because we're, we're both from North Carolina, and if you've not experienced snow in North Carolina, it's not like it is, say, in New York. In New York, two feet of snow go down, and you go to work three hours later. <laughs> in North Carolina, the snowplow may come tomorrow-ish. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, people make fun of the South for not dealing with snow well. And my opinion on this uh, is we just don't have the infrastructure. Right. And we don't have the need for and it, it. Exactly. And it doesn't snow enough that you, you kind of feel like you need to invest right. in the infrastructure for it. But that means on, on a day like today, when we got a foot of snow on the ground, Spencer, you are trapped. We, we walked to the road just to see what it was like, and that was enough of an excursion for us. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We walked out. We saw the road. We had a little snowball fight. I had a good time. But anyway... Uh, Back to the GOT Guy Questions podcast. Returning to the thing. One of the uh, things we were talking about is we're like, well, let's do a pod. And like, well, what pod are we going to do? We didn't have our notes quite ready for the next episode of our coverage of season one. Uh, and I alerted Spencer that Game of Thrones, uh, in preparation for season eight, final season coming out in April, mm-hmm. has an ad campaign called Hashtag For The Throne. Uh, and if you go to their YouTube channel, uh, the very first thing you'll see is the For the Throne clips. And they are clips of the most iconic scenes in the first seven seasons of Game of Thrones. They're relatively short, uh, but they're seriously impactful scenes. And Mm. what we thought we would do today is do a little live watch. So we're going to play the clips. Um, We'll tell you, you know, you can get these clips at youtube.com. We'll tell you the name of the clip so you can watch along with us if you'd like. Mm. We're going to play it. You'll hear the audio in the podcast, and then we're going to comment both during... Uh, uh, before, during, and after mm-hmm. uh, each clip. It's kind of like a little uh, Game of Thrones mystery science theater uh, we, experience here. Which can be fun for us because as iconic as some of these clips are, we haven't watched them since they probably came out, or at least substantially in the past. No, no, we haven't. And, and that's, you know, it's going to be like a really condensed version of what we're doing with our season one coverage, mm-hmm. where we're getting ready, revisiting episodes we haven't seen in years, we haven't talked about in years. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to do that across the spectrum of the whole seven seasons. And the most impactful, most serious scenes. But before we get to hashtag for the throne, season eight, there's an official teaser out, Spencer. Released just two days ago, and I'm excited to see it. So if you are keeping track at home, we have two pieces of season eight, uh, I guess, marketing. Mm -hmm. The first is just one quick scene um, that they just flashed on, flashed off during a montage of HBO shows. Mm -hmm. It's like a general HBO commercial. Right. And we could tell it was new, mm-hmm. um, and it's just John hugging Sansa. And you, you, you see John, he's happy, but you see Sansa, she's looking a little disturbed. 
a lot of people have theorized that she's looking at Danny in that scene, that this right. is the re- reuniting of... Uh, the, the boat has arrived, the group has marched from White Harbor, and she's now realizing that he has essentially sold her kingdom. Exactly. Uh, so we have that. Uh, and now we've got the season eight official teaser. So if you want to watch this along with us, it's at hbo.go, uh, uh, youtube.com with the, uh, the Game of Thrones channel. Uh, and it's the very first video that you can play. Spencer, do you want to play the teaser? Let's see how it is. Dragonstone map where fire is going from the south. It's in the Lannisters. Consuming the Lannisters. Maybe in the middle of the new wall form. Final season, April 2019. Okay, so that was quick. That was quick, but very, very symbolic. I mean, that, obviously there was no footage there, but that is... The War of Fire and Ice is coming to a conclusion and meeting in the middle of Westeros. Right. So if you're, you're not following along with us uh, on video, explain what we just saw. So it's a it's a teaser trailer that they clearly produced just to be a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. There's no new footage. We're not going to see this in season eight. But it's a an overview, a CGI sort of overview of the the map uh, room in Dragonstone. This is a very classic kind of first teaser trailer that they do for the show. They always typically release some kind of symbolic CGI trailer first, and then a clip trailer some months in the future after that. Yeah, because for season seven, remember, they did the one where just different people were walking? Yeah. Um, and that wasn't, obviously, it was just footage that was done just for the teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and across the map table, which is, of course, a map of, of Westeros uh, that Aegon I had built, mm-hmm. um, you see snow, or ice, really, uh, and, and this weird sort of like cloud coming from the north down, and then you see from the south fire coming up. Right. And you're, as Spencer mentioned, it meets in the middle, and it looks like a new sort of wall starts to form. Right. If you remember the mist, the, and the mist fog that kind of descends in the episode of Hard Home, that was it was flowing over the mountains and slowly consuming the outside town. That was what it looked like. It was coming down out of the north. Yep. And very distinctly, it was inca- it was encapsulating and freezing various pieces on the board representing houses. Like it was. Wrapping over the dire wolf of House Stark. It was wrapping over, distinctly, I thought, the dragon of uh, House Targaryen, too. Yeah, yeah, the snow did go over uh, the Targaryen dragon. Um, so, what, anyway. What, what's interesting to consider there is the fires consuming the line of, the line of House Lannister. They distinctly wanted to show <laughs> us that. And, they did, and, and it's, you know, I don't think they're going to hide the fact that the Lannisters are in trouble here in Season 8. They are, though Cersei... It's going to be interesting to see, because we know that Cersei intends to betray the Alliance and has no, no intention to actually support them at all. But she's Correct. not dumb enough to reveal that fact too early. She's going to make some kind of token gesture to make them think that she's still actually supporting this common cause against the others. But how quickly does she show her actual true colors? Well, um, and if you don't want a little bit of a spoiler for Season 8, mm-hmm. um, turn off the podcast when I say now, uh, and... Turn it back on a minute from now. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now. Okay, Spencer, we do know that season uh, eight, episode three, mm-hmm. is the big battle with the Night King. 
assuming the information we're getting is accurate, assuming they're not trying to mislead us about what the actual schedule is, which they've done before. Yeah, but it's not. This is not coming from HBO. It's coming from like the individual directors. Sure. Um, who now are done? Like they just moved on. So uh, I, I'm going to take it on face value that that episode three is the battle with the Night King. It's a six-season episode. Which kind of frames Cersei as being the ultimate climax boss of this show. Also, the 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 marketing campaign is hashtag for the throne. It is. Not mentioning for the realm yeah. or the fight between ice and fire. It's for the throne. So that leads me to believe that episode four, five, and six will be res- resolution episodes, obviously. But there will be a battle between the resulting army uh, that, that Danny uh, and John have after the White Walker uh, uh, battle and Cersei and the Golden Company. Assuming that Danny and John just don't play and lose, and Cersei has to then pick up the banner to fight for the fight for the, the realm after that. Wouldn't that be hilarious? If it, in season, in it episode would blow three, my mind. <laughs> if Danny and John just die, yeah, Night King wins. I, that we would talk about that for years if they actually went that route. <laughs> but done. You, you can come back now. Everybody's listening. We finished any potential spoilers on okay. that subject. No more spoilers. All right. So now we're gonna get to the clips. Oh, Spencer, while we're recording, has taken his socks off. My socks are about 80% snow. And now has them in his hand, and he's gesturing with his socks. I'll stop doing that. <laughs> How long was I doing this? Flinging the sock, the sock water at you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was wondering how long you were going to do it, if I'm going to call you out. Thank you, appreciate it. Uh, I had forgotten. I was holding a pants. Now we're going to go to the hashtag for the throne clips. We're going to do them in order. As they uh, as they are on the uh, the face page of the Game of Thrones uh, section of YouTube, right? mm-hmm. so you get there. The very first episode, uh, very first video you can look at is the official tease. The next one is hold the door, hold the door. I have not watched this episode since it happened. That was a rough scene. All right, let's get the uh, Kleenex ready. Okay, here we go. Spoilers ahead, no shit. <laughs> Night King, going up to Red Raven. Red Raven, Blood Raven. Night King swings. That after has been years. Oh, 
Spencer, your thoughts. You say you haven't seen this since you first watched it. I didn't want to watch it again. (laughs) That's an incredibly rough scene. It's not one I in any way predicted was going to happen. I had not read the theories about where Hodor's name came from and everything else, and so that scene was just truly shocking for me. Um, Yeah, it was. That was an all-timer. And that was like mid-season, too. It was like season six, like episode four or something like that. You really didn't see it coming. I mean... Question here. Was Mira basically saying, Hodor, I need you to go die for me right now? Yeah. Yeah. And then we weren't very optimistic about her odds either, as she basically just walks off into the frozen wasteland. But I'll tell you, of all the characters to tell someone like Hodor, hey, go over there, sacrifice yourself, Mira's up there because she's, in essence, done that many times. Oh, yeah. Put herself in situations where it was likely she was not going to live. No, no. And she's protect Bran. And she's doing it right now. She's pulling Bran into the first place by herself, alone, with nothing other than the dead now in the the far north. Yeah. Or the partially dead. Partially. (laughs) The reanimated dead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, I'd be remiss uh, to watch this clip and discuss this episode without pitching to you, are we going to see Hodor's a wife? Oh, God, if we see reanimated Hodor, I'm going to hurt. It's just going to hurt no, too much. It's going to hurt too much. I think we might see it, dude. I, I know we're going to see it. It would be great television if we see it. Bran, in particular, needs to see it because of the abuse that Bran inflicted on Hodor over the course of this show. I mean, it's easier in some ways in the books to deal with it because Bran's, like, distinctly younger and not mature. In this, Bran's very much aware of how much he has used Hodor for his ends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to see a reanimated Hodor. I also think we're going to see uh, the Night's Watch fall and reanimated Night's Watch. I think we're going to get Dolores oh, and... Yeah, it's going to be rough. It's going it, to be a rough season. It, in which case, Dolores said, of course, we'll be the last member of the Night's Watch to fall. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As he has <laughs> predicted for so long. <laughs> okay, anything else on Hododo? Uh, no, it hurt just as much watching it again as it did the first time. <laughs> okay, well, let's go to one that doesn't hurt quite as bad. Um, this one's a clip called Tyrion and Tywin. What are you thinking? This is going to be from Tyrion's trial, maybe? Uh, maybe. Uh, it's from season four. Oh, or is this one you basically said, oh, you're no... So we'll see. This, there could be a lot of options for this one. Tyrion and Tywin. Hashtag for the throne on YouTube. Let's go. All right. Oh. Yeah. Tyrion has oh. got the crossbow. Joffrey's crossbow. Which we are yeah. meant to believe is like high tech mm. for Westeros, right? That crossbow. Peter Dinklage acts this scene so well. He's walking down this hallway and he just looks haunting. Because he's just killed Shay at this point, right? Yeah, strangled her in the bed. In Tywin's bed. And here's Tywin upon the privy. And you're a big Tywin defender. He opens the privy. Damn. Put down the crossbow. Unflappable as always. He gets a little flat. Who released you? Your brother, I expect, he always had a soft spot for you. Good call. It was, Jamie. Yeah. We'll go and talk in my chambers. This is how you want to speak to me. Shaming your father has always given you pleasure, hasn't All it? my life, you've wanted me dead. He's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes. But he didn't kill him. But you refused to die. I respect that. Even admire it. You fight for what's yours. This is all bullshit here, right? I'd never let them execute you. Is that what you fear? I'm not sure. I'll never let Ellen Payne take you ahead. So You're a Lannister. But this is the point here. It would be a shame on Lannister if you got killed You're by my her. son. I loved her. Who? Oh, no. Put down that crossbow. I murdered her. With my own hands. That's the first one to rattle him off. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. She was a whore. Say that word again. And what? You'll kill your own father in the privy. No. You're my son. Now, enough of this nonsense. I am your son, and you sentenced me to die. You knew I didn't poison Joffrey, but you sentenced me all the same. Why? Enough. We'll go back to my chambers and speak with some dignity. I can't go back there. She's in there. Oh, are you afraid of a dead whore? I told you. <laughs> that one goes, Highland seems shocked here. He's a military man. He knows where I hit him. He's, he's done for. You shot me. Shocked by this. Utterly shocked. Tyrion is reloading. It looks like it's a little below his heart. You're no son of mine. Surely in his I am your son. I have always been your son. Oh, my gracious. <laughs> that one did it. Tyrion and Tywin. So that's the scene in the last episode of season four where Tyrion 
Murders time. Well, I think the key question that people really have from this scene is whether Tywin is in any way being truthful with what he's, Tyrion, what he's talking with Tyrion right now. Is he merely just trying to talk him down, or is what he's telling him about, you're my son, I never intended to kill you, we can, we, can, we can work this out, actually him speaking truthfully? I think that he probably wouldn't have let him actually die. I think he worked out that deal with Jamie, where Jamie was going to you know, renounce his Kingsguard. Uh, being a member of the Kingsguard and go and be Lord of Castle Rock, hmm. and Tyrion would take the Black, which Tyrion would be a great member of the Night's Watch, by the way. I was kind Very of looking so. forward to that plan. Um, but I think that the way he explains it to Tyrion, and the manner in which Tyrion gets that information, it's kind of hard for Tyrion to believe, because it just kind of sounds de- like desperation in Tywin. I, I, I'm detecting desperation in Tywin's voice. I think the only moment that Tywin came across as being truly rattled was when Tyrion said, well, when Tyrion shot him, and also when Tyrion said, Shay's, I killed, already killed Shay. Yeah, there was a pause from Tywin there, but this is a different kind of situation than I was originally thinking this was. Yeah, well, and, and what do you let's let's deep dive a little bit into the Shay Tywin thing. Tywin yeah. thing. How do you think that even happened? Do you think because I'll have I have a theory, but I want to hear yours in terms of how the two two of them came together. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it seems well. Book and show, it's harder to say because book the show makes a lot of that Shay honestly did love Tyrion, and they had a very close and warm and affectionate relationship. Which was much more ambiguous than the book. In the book, it was much more implied that she was just a, a prostitute, a courtesan, who had, was making her money how she could. Her, her level of loyalty was kind of dependent on the coin that was being directed towards her. So it seems like she had gone to the Lannisters to provide information against Tyrion, and in some way got connected with Tywin in that regard. And Tywin, seeing her as a prostitute, and from what we know from other little bits of information, having his own needs that he's better at keeping secret than Tyrion is broader to his bed. I don't I don't see it as necessarily being like a personal taking this from Tyrion kind of thing. No, not on, on behalf of Tywin, no. Mm. Um, I, I do think show only mm. that, you know, of course, she did go to the Lannisters mm. uh, to provide information about Tyrion. We know that because she was a witness at his trial. Yeah. Um, but I also think there was a little bit of like, this will make Tyrion hurt. A woman scorned kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. I think there was a little uh, bit very of much so. But very I think Tywin so. was also a little bit embarrassed that Tyrion knew that Shay had been in his bed. That, that, to me, that's why I thought he was a little bit rattled. That could be that as well, yes. But one of the key things I think I would say in defense of the argument that Tywin did not intend for Tyrion to be killed is that Tyrion being publicly executed for a crime would be a shame on House Lannister. And I think more than anything, Tywin's not going to let that happen. That he's not going to let his son... Much as he could argue or dispute that to any degree, his acknowledged son be executed before the realm for a crime against the state. He's just not going to let that happen. That'd be a shame people would talk about for years. Agreed. But I would say that if he was going to let it happen, it mm. would be in this specific situation where he is the one who cast the who cast, Exactly. And pre- where he, presiding over. He's st- yeah. So he, he still has control. Right. right. No one can kill my son but me. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Great clip. Loved that episode. Loved season four, man. Season four was really good. Season four was solid. It was that back half of uh, Storm of Swords. Mm-hmm. There's so much is happening plot-wise. Had a blast with it. All right, we're going to the next one. Folks, this is this is prime Spencer territory here. We are going to Hard Home. Hard Home is, what was it, season five, I think? Season five, episode nine? It was, yeah, I think it was nine. It was either eight or nine. It might have been eight, because I think we caught us off guard when it was. It's like, there's another two episodes after this or something. Yeah, well, I mean, if only we had Google device connected <laughs> to the internet. 
Uh, let's, let's find out real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it, it as you um, go through that, I will talk a little bit about our experience watching Hard Home. We watched Hard Home for the first time at a bachelor party for a friend of us uh, in Myrtle Beach. Everyone was, uh, you know, slightly intoxicated, mm-hmm. um, except... I mean, me and you were, Spencer, but I think we kind of held back because we were so excited about the episode. We basically re- rerouted the bachelor party to go down to the den to watch the episode. Everybody else was drinking, having a great time. It was like, okay, we're going down here now. Everyone come on. And yeah, and people started coming down. I started getting frustrated because I'm like, guys, we take this very seriously. As the listeners of the GOT got close to the podcast <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and people kept coming down. But anyway, I, I was very skeptical of the episode because it really introduced the army of the undead, mm-hmm. of the white, uh, and I was scared the show was going down a zombie rabbit hole, mm-hmm. whereas you had much more faith in the showrunners and the plot and the original canon, and you said, no, this is actually going to make it better, and you have been right. You've, you've borne out to be right, because the introduction of the Night King and his army and how his army operates, super interesting, and has added a level of complexity to the back half of the season that wasn't there originally. And the fun thing about this episode, we did confirm, it was episode 8 of uh, season 5. What made that shocking is that for every prior season, episode 9 was the gut puncher. Episode 9 was the shocking moment, the twist, the dramatic redirection of the plot in different ways. So we went into episode 8 going, okay, well it's going to be an episode of John talking with people at Hard Home, and he's going to get them on boats. Because in the show, in, there's nothing about this in the books. John never goes to Hard Home in the books. He just kind of gets vague messages from Cotter Pike as to what's going on. Dead things in the water. Dead things in the water, lots of bad things happening, but no real details and certainly no massive assault by the Night King. Right. So we didn't really have much of a hope that much was going to really occur in this episode. And so watching it live at the bachelor party with a collection of stewed prunes was just a delightful experience. You said stewed prunes? They, they, yes, that was the phrase I used to refer to our friends by. You ever heard that expression? No, I love that. That's yeah. hilarious. Stewed prunes. Good work, Spencer. I like that. Yeah, no, it did kind of shock us. It was fun. Uh, let's go to the tape. Yeah. So this is the fourth um, episode. Uh, I keep seeing episode. Fourth video on the uh, Game of Thrones YouTube channel called Hard Home, hashtag for the throne. Pick it up. Well, about. Oh, yeah. one one has a flaming log. I love this. Yeah. The Lord is dead. John. All of us are running. And one one's getting covered. And they are everywhere. The whites are everywhere. The Night King watches over it all. The Night King is watching. The dead horse. The CGI on that horse is pretty good. I don't worry for one more here. Like, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, Alright, one more is walking. Then we got just flicking them off and they jump on the other Just gonna walk back to the base. There he goes. The last of the wild and the distance falls. 
Now we're going to get Slaughter. John's looking at it. He's clearly emotionally impacted. As is Corman. Corman, the first time we've ever seen him tears in the eyes. Watching his people die for it. Love the haunting music. Is that the play here? You see that others are actually in the ranks among, among the undead. Yep. Half the White Walkers are very actually fighting. Shot of the dock. Love some unseen command. It's like they're pulled back. And here goes. Thank you. He walks out on the edge of the dock slowly. He's kind of like Michael Myers. He never runs. But he's always like a scary walk. He's going to need to hurry. I love the makeup they had back in Off the Heart. They kind of minimized it since. Agreed. Yeah, that's peak nightmare. Oh, yeah. John's yeah. just staring at him. He's staring at John. It's interesting that he's looking at John. Very much. And he was looking at John during the battle as well. Oh, yeah. Particularly after John killed one of them with his, uh, with his, uh, with his uh, one claw. Which he's able to do because he's really insane. Yeah. Okay. Well, the king is raising his arms. Utter the sun. Fallen wildlings, their eyes open, their pupils icy blue, and they all start to stand. It's utterly silent. It's no music, no spoken words. Just seeing the army of the dead rise. And what's interesting to me is that they 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 rise, and then they look at John, and you can tell they got hate in their heart. Mm-hmm. These are the same characters that were just talking to him an hour earlier. No longer. And now it's clear that they have completely changed. We died, of course, come back, and now they're part of the army. <laughs> I love that the guys that are even rowing the boat are like, Dear Christ, they're just frozen with what they've seen. <laughs> and then you get a big shot of all of the, uh, the Night King's army, or at least at Hardhome. Uh, and, and it cuts. Spencer. I mean, this is one of the most memorable scenes of the entire show because it's one of the first moments that we truly realized, truly felt what was coming. Previously, the Army of the Dead was an amorphous concept. It was so... We don't. We didn't really got to see it much other than just see them walk slowly through the mist. We were more worried about the wildlings. Right. We were more worried about the wildling hordes project. What we'd seen of the Army of the Dead, we knew it was big, we knew it was massive, we knew it was slowly lumbering along, but this just put it right in the emotional center that this is something that no one is equipped to handle. We just watched the host of all of the wildling nations die in, a sink, in, a, in less than an hour. We saw them not only die, but be resurrected to, to massively grow the size of the Night King's army once again. This is both us and John coming to terms with the fact that this is not a battle we can win. We have nothing that is equipped to stop this from, from coming. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, and I also think that like when you think about the history of the White Walkers... Mm-hmm. I think Hardhome has to be one of their their biggest wins, right? Because you're north of the wall. There's not a lot of men north of the wall, mm-hmm. other than the wildlings, yeah. to grow your ranks. Mm-hmm. But they were able to slaughter, you know, probably, I don't know, at least a good percentage of what was Mansfreeder's army. Yeah. Um, 
and, and, and grew their ranks. So it was a big victory for the Night King, and it really, uh, I think it put the shock into John. And, and John changes as a result of this scene mm-hmm. uh, in this whole episode because his he shifts focus from, well, let's bring the wildlings in so that we're friends and it makes more sense. Like, he's more of a diplomat. Now he's like, this is we're a survivalist now. Like, yeah. this is just to survive. You almost detect, like, an element of PTSD in some of John's arguments they make now. We've made fun of John because he always repeats, I've seen... The night I've looked into his eyes. I've seen the army. And we were just like, well, John, that argument doesn't work. But he, it's so wrapped up in who he is now because he survived this moment. He's had this traumatic experience. That is probably the first thing that he's thinking about in most of his waking thoughts. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, and I think that uh, Kid Harrington acts that well. Mm-hmm. Because, it's, it, you know, if you, you're watching the episode along uh, with us, um, as they're pulling the boat out, I mean, John looks crazy distraught as he's oh, looking at the night Speechless as he's walking back. And, and he's doing he's, this like sort of nervous, like looking down, looking up, looking all over the place. He is clearly shook. And and, and that informs, I think, uh, his decision making, of course, in later seasons. He's literally looking into the face of death, as close as the show can ever show him. Yeah. Okay. Anything more on Hard Home? You want to fanboy out a little bit more? It's one of your favorite episodes. I can make, keep making squeeing noises, but I think we've all heard them before. I think we can move on. <laughs> okay. From Spencer's favorite to one of my favorites. Ah. This is, uh, we're getting into season seven here. Mm-hmm. Very early season seven. This is episode one of season seven. It's a clip called The North Remembers. Hashtag for the throne. Spencer, let's fire it away. Why I brought you all here. And you're wondering like, what the all. hell Walter Frey? He's dead. Well, I, I, I thought it was a flashback. When I did too. As we covered in our season seven coverage of that, I, I thought it was a flashback. In a single fortnight. <laughs> well, it's no good being Lord of the Riverlands if you can't celebrate with your family. That's what I say. This is like the first clue that this is not Walter Frey. <laughs> 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 you would never say that. Completely out of character. I've gathered every fray who means the damn thing so I can tell you my plans for this great house now that winter has come. Interesting line there. Every fray that means the damn thing, not every fray. Mm -hmm. A toast. All right, they're passing out wine here. This is the finest. Pretty impressive. Already made this much poison, really. Proper wine for proper heroes. Harbor Gold, that's from uh, White Harbor? Uh, no, it's in the reach. Deep into the reach. Oh, uh, okay. Stand together. <laughs> All right. Big cheers. All of the phrase drink. Except for Walter Except Frey. Except for Walter. And his wife. Not you. I'm not wasting good wine on a damn woman. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good uh, uh, Walter Frey line from Maria. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, she's I'm good. not the most pleasant man. I'll admit it. But I'm proud of you lot. You're my family. The men who helped me slaughter the Starks at the Red Wedding. Slaughter. That should have been the first piece. Yes. That's that's a clue. Brave men. All of you. Here we go. Butcher the woman pregnant with her babe. Cut the throat of a mother of five. Slaughtered your guests after inviting them into your home. Your home. But you didn't slaughter every one of the Starks. 
No, no. Okay, the guys are starting to choke that a little bit. That was your mistake. You should have ripped them all out, root and stem. Now they're calling the blood. Leave one wolf alive, and the sheep are never safe. Now smile. And they all fall. Serving girl was shot. And uh, so are we. Unmasked? It's alright. When people ask you what happened here, tell them the North remembers. Tell them winter came for House Fred. Winter came for House Fred. So good. Great music for this scene, too. And she just walks among the bodies, surveying the damage. She leaves only the certain girl and Walter Frey's uh, wife alone. And she smiles as she leaves. Love this scene, Spencer. Mm -hmm. Oh, as much as you fanboyed out about Hard Home, I want to fanboy about this one. Please. Let's hear it. Uh, I just love the sort of symmetry of it. Mm -hmm. How... You know, there was this complete slaughter of the stars mm -hmm. that you couldn't really see coming. I mean, I mean, there were some clues, but I mean, the magnitude of it would be hard to sort of <laughs> yeah. to guess. And the same exact thing happens to Walter Frank. Oh, yeah. Is that he gets killed mm -hmm. uh, by Arya. She takes his face, which, mm -hmm. I mean, right there. What the hell? He never could have guessed that. Mm -hmm. And kills every single Frey that matters. In a period of, and, and similarly to the Red Wedding, this scene is took two, three minutes. Like, it happens in two, three minutes, the entire family's destroyed. In a single masterstroke, the enemies of House Stark have died, at least a substantial portion of them. And great writing, uh, as you pointed out, uh, she says, your house, oh, yeah. not my house. Uh, leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. That's a great line. Uh, when people ask you what happened here, tell them the North remembers. Tell them what the game, the House Frey. Really good writing. And I think that the, the actor who plays Walter Frey, who mm -hmm. was also in Harry Potter, mm -hmm. um, amazing pivot like he he starts as Walter Frey mm -hmm. and at the end of that uh, you know that sequence he's he's acting something different oh, so like man. shout out to him love this scene it was a little cathartic for me because fuck Walter Frey yes love this clip it it is an amazing clip and very unexpected too we had no knowledge that season the season seven essentially was going to start this way as you said we looked at this and went are they doing a flashback now? Yeah, yeah I thought it was a flashback. They, they celebrating immediately after the Red Wedding? What's happening? And then as it went on, more and more hints started to come to your mind that, oh shit, this is our isn't it? Yeah. What's about to happen? Yeah, and that's after Frey Pie, which we got too, which was also really nice. All right, enough on that because we did cover it in our, uh, our Season 7 coverage on the GT Guy Christmas Podcast. We're going to the next clip. Spencer, I got the Kleenex. <laughs> I got you a little whiskey here. I got you a blanket oh, because God. this one is from Season 1. Clip is called Bring Me His Head. The original trauma. What is to be done with this traitor, Your Grace? Uh, a man is handcuffed and he's looking down. Joffrey is king. My mother wishes me to let Ned's, Ned's, join Ned's the done what he promised. He admitted his Stripped guilt. Stripped of all titles and powers, he would serve the realm in permanent exile. 
That's the terms. And my lady Sansa has begged mercy for her father. Sansa smiles here. Oh, God. Still hopeful. But they have the soft hearts of women. <sighs> so long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head. Bring me his head! All hell breaks loose. Everybody on the DS is freaking out. They know this is a horrible idea. This is totally unpleasant. Arya is watching, but that's a really heartbreaking thing. Um, Sansa screaming down, doing all she can. Even Cersei is upset about this. The crowd goes nuts. Harris is charging over. It's like, you can't do this. Harris is begging uh, Joffrey. He doesn't care to approach her. Come to the Yorn steps in to protect her. Yorn says, Come with me, boy. Look at me. So Yorn takes the sword. At this point, I'm watching it. I'm like, This is what I'm Clarity. This is it. He looks up to see if Arya is still there. He looks at the crowd. He sees that Arya's gone. She's safe. And he can heal her. He makes what peace he can. Goes down. Exposes his neck. And there we go. The birds fall. Okay, bring me his head from episode nine of season one, Ned Stark's execution. Didn't see it coming. Wasn't a book reader when I started to watch the show. Blew my mind. As a matter of fact, I remember telling uh, my friends at the time that uh, it, it, it was it was kind of admirable that they were going to do a, a show that only had one season because it had to be over because uh, they killed the main protagonist. Uh, you know, great. You know, sort of like a miniseries for yeah. me. Uh, but of course it kept going, but that, that was a really shocking moment. I, I, I feel like we're tag teaming these clips a little bit, but you're, you're the big Ned guy. I'm you're big, Ned guy. I'm the big Ned guy. Like you, I have not read the books at this point. I've read, I've powered through them after this episode, after this episode was done, but the show had done such a great job of setting up Ned as the main character, as the heroes, he who will overcome. And it really set up how this show was something special, that they were willing to take this step. Because so few shows are willing to essentially kill the driving force of your plot. The main character and everything else is all around. Your hero, before the first season is even done. And I would also point out, the most star-studded of the cast. Because Sean Bean is very much a a known entity. And and the other folks on this show are not that much. And he was the center of all advertising. Ned with that sword on the Iron Throne is still the basis of Game of Thrones advertising to this day. Yep. Um, And the episode itself had set it up that he'd made a deal. He was going to go north. He was going to be with John again. It was a great position for him to be for the for the plot to continue in a new He'd and different direction. He'd be Lord direction. Commander at some point. He'd be Lord Commander at some point. His daughters would be protected. It seemed like a perfect, rational way the plot would play out because it would make no sense to kill him. But we, at this point, only had a few tastes of the true evil, sadistic stupidity that is Joffrey. Yeah, I mean, even like like you know, I like that you pointed it out because Varys panicked. Varys panicked. Varys does not panic. Even Meister Pycelle looked over and said, the hell are you doing? <laughs> Everyone on the dais was going utterly shocked that he went this route because it's complete stupidity to do it. Uh, and it catches up with him. It, it eventually does. 
But, God, it was painful to see it. And I love the addition they made for the show, one of the best additions they made, of having Yorin in the crowd. Of Ned, like, before this scene, but as Ned's being hauled off, he looks over and he sees Arya, and he tells Yorin, who's next to him at the time, Baylor, and sends him to go protect her. I love that addition they added to the show, that Ned, even at this moment where he's being dragged to be possibly executed, he doesn't know at this point for sure, he's protecting his children. He's actively working. And as you said, he has that moment of peace when he can look out and see that Arya's not there anymore, that Yorin's got her. Yeah. And, then, and then you can go. I'll make one more point and we can move on. Is I'm going to do a little olive branch to you, you Sansa apologist. In season seven, Arya and Sansa spat a little bit about, okay, well, what did you do when Dad was dying, right? Like, you were standing up there in your pretty gowns, right? Like Arya's telling her. Mm-hmm. Rewatching that, Sansa did everything she could do. She lost her shit when Joffrey said, bring me his head. She was begging. She was yeah. pleading. So, you know, shout out to Sansa a little bit. I mean, she was young, yeah. and she was they had this weird power dynamic with the Lannisters, and she was, in essence, a prisoner, but she did all she could do in that moment to save her dad. And even before that, as Joffrey said, Sansa had been the one that had been begging him, let him take these terms. Let him let, let him find a way out of this. Please don't kill him. She's taking every single step possible to keep her father alive. And it's so interesting how... You have different characters that are up on that sort of dais mm-hmm. um, who were begging for Ned's life mm-hmm. and with such different <laughs> motivations. Yeah. Where Cersei, her, her whole motivation is, Jesus, you're going to piss off the North and they're yeah. going to march and they stab a ton of men. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Varys is like, whoa, whoa, stability of the realm. Like, this is yeah. going to be a problem. <laughs> Chaos is a ladder type thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's figuring out that this is going to get a little chaotic. And then Sansa, of course, is begging for her father's life. Mostly the one where I... I, I I don't have to watch again to be sure, but I didn't see Littlefinger do anything. I'm sure he was like, me. <laughs> I'm doing the hand thing, you know, you flick like the fingers. All the other members of the small council were freaking out, but I didn't I didn't see them focus on him. No, no, I think he was totally fine. He was good with it. Okay, bring me his head, another heartbreaking clip uh, from Game of Thrones. That one's from season one. We're going to move on to the next clip. This one from season seven. Some of the last footage we have before season eight, mm-hmm. titled Winter is Here. Watch. Yeah. Crows keep telling me I'll get used to it. <laughs> Beric Dondarrion. Torment up there. And they see one rider. And the army of the dead behind him. And they start to emerge. Now, this looks a lot like Watchers in the Wall, right? Yeah. With the Wilding Army coming in? Oh, yeah. Except it looks like that fog mist that comes behind him. That's such a good effect. It is. The CGI here is incredible because it really looks like they've got about 2,000 people <laughs> dressed up as zombies. Oh, yeah. And the scale of this, too. It's not only all of Mass Raiders on it. It's everyone who's probably died within a few centuries and someone who corpse the blade. I love this score here, like chaotic music. Because I feel like you're kind of in Twan's brain where he's like, what the hell am I Silence. What the hell are they going to do? Oh my god, what is that? 
<laughs> Great shot here. Oh. I love the little camera shake. I'll yeah. show you that the wall shook when the Missourian came in. Shout out to Mormon. He does not go down. He goes sideways. He's like, human bear for the only people who Season 7, the reanimated Viserion comes in, knocks down part of the wall, and in come um, the White Walkers and their army. A couple things I'd like to point out here. Um, one is, it looks like Viserion is stronger now. Distinctly so, yeah. He's faster. Mm -hmm. He breathes a blue flame, which the showrunners have said is not ice. Mm -hmm. It's so hot, it's blue. Mm -hmm. So I worry, like uh, normally I would say, well, Drogon could easily beat Viserion, right? <laughs> no problem. I don't know about this version of Viserion, so that's right. a little troubling to me. Second thing I'd point out is Viserion seems to have decayed a little bit, so I'm not sure if he's a white walker or if he's a white. If he's a white, he has a timeline, right? Because he's eventually just going to decompose and be a skeleton. Mm -hmm. um, not that that really matters for our protagonist right now, because it's a pretty immediate threat. Right. Third thing I would point out 
is they got a lot of giants. A lot more than we've ever seen previously. More than Mance Raider had in his army. <laughs> so tell me, what are your thoughts on this scene? I mean, I felt like this scene, similar to the hard home scene, was another clear demonstration that humanity is boned. There's, this is not an army that can be defeated by any natural means. This is an army of colossal scale and utterly inhuman purpose. This is not something that can be, you know, defeated by normal tactics. Dothraki ra- raiders aren't going to make this army break and run. This is a undead horde that not even the wall that has stood for time immemorial can stop. Again, all of the defenses, all of their capabilities have fallen in the course of... How long was this clip? A five-minute clip. <laughs> Everything they built their plan on, okay, we get all our armies to the wall, we can hold them there, is done. It's dead. They've lost. So I'm going to shout out to you here because, you know, I'm a big believer that the Dothraki are the best army in yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about that, yeah. Yeah, but you have made the point to me, which I think is great, is that they rely on an army breaking. This army is not going to break. So what you really need are the Unsullied. And so, like, I don't know how the battle's going to go in Season Mm 8, but I could totally see a situation where the Unsullied just form a circle and they just go. Yeah. Bang. One after another. Eventually make an undead wall around them of just corpses, because... This is not army. Most tactics, particularly those of the Dothraki, are designed around messing with the psychology of the army to eventually you convince them to break and run. Most casualties happening in this era of warfare are when an army routes and is in the act of running away, which is when the Dothraki just swoop through them and tear them apart. This army is never going to run. You either decapitate it by killing off the others in some in some shape or manner, which, which seems, I'm sure John's going to try that. I'm sure John's going to try that. Or you just butcher them as if they were an approaching a horde of animals. Dothraki aren't built for that. The Unsullied certainly are. Yeah, agreed. And so I think that, like, in the battle for Westeros, mm-hmm. the Dothraki are probably Danny's, other than the dragons, her biggest asset. Mm-hmm. Battle against the others, I think you might be right, Spencer. The Unsullied are going to shine. Yeah, the Unsullied are going to shine. Particularly says, you know, it doesn't take much of an injury or much of a damage for a horse to go down in these circumstances. The army is just maintaining a mass of people. It's going to rely a lot on northern and unsullied steel to just hold a line against what's coming, while hopefully Danny's dragons and John can prepare some kind of decapitation attack before they're just overwhelmed. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how it goes any other way. Well, that's a, I, I did like that clip. It was God knows how much it cost them to do. God. Uh, but it does set up the tension for season eight. And one detail we didn't mention earlier, and this isn't a spoiler, but the director of a seminal episode, well, a, a key director that we're very fond of is coming back for next season. Miguel Sapochnik! Who has directed some of the best episodes of the show, I would say. It's a hell of a segue. You're getting good at this. You're a professional broadcaster. Next clip! On hashtag for the thrones. Did you pick up? I was doing this. Thank you. Battle of the bastards. Damn, Spencer, you're good. All right, let's watch it. Okay. John and the wildling army are surrounded. Bolt the horses. Oh, the spears go down. The spear wall approaches. Sapochnik is so good. This episode is I love the battle in formation. It's so rare to do television movies. Is the formation winning a And that's exactly how this would have worked. Yeah. And you're watching this and you're like, I don't know how you break this. I mean, obviously, he's pointed out they had one giant there who could have done it, but here they they come up over the back. Here the umber forces come from behind. And John is looking around and increasingly understands the battle is lost. The umbers in the show Oh, 
to tear his way through, and he does a good job of it. Roman cuts through the Berserker style. You're gonna fight a giant though, just kind of spear wall is how you want to do it. Yeah, because I mean, he's big, but all those pokes, all, all those pokes and those like 15 foot pipes they're using too. Yeah, he can't get close to you with those things. It does hurt. And then this is a mass of people. Uh, they're increasingly being pushed inward mm -hmm. uh, as the Bolton forces advance. Uh, one one is trying to break oh. off and just rip the man wide open. Uh, but he still hasn't broke the line. The line is holding. Roman's still trying. Oh, Roman takes an injury. They still standing back. Marches forward. Oh, yeah. That skull of people behind them, too, happening that they try to retreat. And it sees here that the battle is probably lost, but his best chance is to try to break through the back of the Which right now is a power of their bodies. With the advancing of the forces coming up the other. Small John Umber, a traitor on the show. Gonna go after John, but yeah, the Robin forces now the pressing mode of the Running to try to get away from the advancing boat formation. John is trapped in the way. This is the whole way John is going to be crushed to death. Tormund and Small Jones square it off. Oh, I love this battle. Oh, yeah. trapped under everyone. He's trying to pull himself up, being crushed by the swarm that he's going on. You can just see a little bit of daylight, but he keeps fighting. This gun is one of those incredible shots I've ever found. John finally gets up, upright. He's able to get above the mass of humanity, pushing him to try to get out of this situation. He can, he can take a breath. Mm -hmm. Beautifully shot. Oh, yeah. Wonderful scene. Spencer, what's your take on the Battle of the Bastards? I mean, we, we always had some nitpicks about certain aspects of the battle, about why they didn't give uh, one one of another tree to use again, like the added hard home. But in terms of the emotional impact of the battle and the scenes and the quality of the cinematography, it was, un, it was unparalleled. It was amazing to watch that episode. It was one of the ones that we watched up, up here with you, right? Yeah, you came up. We had a Game of Thrones watch party. I got a big old screen. You did? A big old 20-foot screen, projector screen. 
Uh, we watched it, uh, and it it delivered. I mean, yeah, you can nitpick on some of the details, but God. to your point about how they actually showed the battle play out mm-hmm. and the, the formation of the Bolton army and how they press forward, I mean, those are details that you just don't get in television or most film. No, no, no. Most of it's just, you know, let's have everybody just run to each other and square off, and that'll be great. Seeing them go into formation like that, seeing them have that, for- that flanking force come in behind to prevent the retreat, seeing the, like, 15-foot massive pikes, which we've not really seen before previously on the show, pretty much almost, like, designed for dealing, keeping the army at a distance, including keeping a giant at a distance. Yep. It's all just great. And just the emotional impact of it all, as we as watchers were terrified as what was going to happen. Because mm-hmm. there were several moments in this, we were pretty certain John was going to die. Oh, yeah. As John is watching that cavalry approach and you're, the music is building, you're convinced John's going to get run down. As John's caught under this just massive pile of, hum- of desperate humanity, you're convinced that John is going to, if nothing else, is going to die from suffocation before this scene is done. We all had the thought that, you know, the deus ex machina of the, of the veil forces are going to show up at some point. But at this point, I'd forgotten it was even a possibility. I was so thoroughly wrapped up in the terror of the scene along with the troops in the lines. That's interesting. I, I watched the entire scene. And I did, of course, I didn't say it because mm. we're having a watch party. You want to build tension. You want everybody to enjoy watching it. But I kept thinking, Knights of Hell are coming. I know they're coming. Mm-hmm. I know it. Like, I, I, I thought John might die Yeah. before they got there. I thought Tormund was going to die. I did think Tormund was going to die. I very much thought Tormund was going to die. There's been many moments I thought Tormund was going to die. Let's go through three, <laughs> just three of them. Tormund is scrapping. We can, well, let's do four. You have Watchers yeah. on the Wall. What? Yeah, yeah. Thorne was getting straight up hit and shot there for several scenes. When he was squaring off with uh, Thorne, uh, mm-hmm. Al- Alistair Thorne. Uh, and then we had all those arrows. He's a pincushion. He was utterly pier- pierced by several different arrows and everything else. He's barely even able to stand. He's surrounded by forces and refusing to surrender. I thought he was going to be executed if nothing else at the end of that scene. We've got this right here of when he's taking shots left and right. He's so thoroughly pressed in against a small John Umber, he can't even barely move. They're literally biting at each other. Well, he they're... takes a full-on sword shot in the yeah, arm. Before he even starts. Which, to me, would have made... Like, I thought that he would have been, been like, sort of handicapped in fighting, but he's torment, so he just kept well, going. He, did, he is actually kind of handicapped in fighting, because he pulls a dagger with his other hand and literally just starts stabbing it and biting small John once they get pressed up against each other at that point. But <laughs> torment, of course he's going. Uh, a mad fucker like you survive this long. I'm good at killing people. That's a moment. He's yeah. good at killing people. Um, episode we didn't like, but episode, another example would be when they're trapped in that ice lake in season seven. I, that, more than any of these examples you're giving, I, I was sure he's dead. Oh, yeah. I, they're, they're pulling him into the water. He was shot. Sure. shot Tormund goes out. Yeah. Um, anything else? I mean, the three main ones that come to mind right now. Oh, yeah. And then when the wall goes down. Uh, when the wall goes down, too. Tormund's had a rough run. Tormund has been front and center for a lot of deathly experiences. Question for you. Does Tormund survive this uh, season eight? No. I don't either. I think he's going to be... I mean, he's Tormund. He's going to be on the front lines. I don't think many people, period, are going to survive season eight. I don't see how they can rationalize it. This is too big now. There's there's no concern about you know, losing fan base from getting rid of fan favorite characters. There's no concern about this further plot that you don't want to cut off from eliminating certain character progression. We're at the end. Death is approaching. Everything else needs to be resolved. Cast is going to get thin quick on Batman the next season. I agree. I don't think there's any way Tormund survives, but he's had a hell of a run. Okay, we go from Battle of the Bastards, really great military battle, um, big large-scale production to what in essence could be a stage play, but is the most impactful episode and scene of the series. I'm calling it right now. Yeah. We're revisiting the Red Wedding. Oh, do we have to... 
Where are they going to start it? Where's the start? Oh, oh they start start with uh, Rob kissing Calusa. Calusa. Oh, God. We're going to see it build right now. Okay. We're we're looking through Catelyn's eyes through this as they close the doors. Which that's consistent with the books. We're watching it through Catelyn's eyes, but they close the door. She's already concerned about that. They cut from the bear and the maiden fair to the remains of Castamere. And at this point, Catelyn's heads are, her hackles are already up, but this is just so gross. There's no reason they would do this for for a coffee. Why are you playing Lannister's song? Lannister's killed my husband. Oh, uh, strategic error here. Grey Wind locked up. Big, big error. And Grey Wind knows what's happening. Grey Wind can feel the tension rising in there. Unforced error there. Nice. Right? You have to have it at least, and he's not in the castle. He's got to at least be Irish. Yeah. And all the Frey forces, they're clipping for you. They're all in full armor. All the, all the Stark guys are just having a nice drink. Yeah, I will, and I saw some Tully dance. Oh, yeah. So... The Hound arrives with Arya, trying to deliver Arya to another. Feast Feast is over. Feast is over. Doesn't sound like it's over. If I tell you it's over, it's over. Turn this cart around and get the hell out of here. The pig's feet too. (laughs) Still trying. I'm going back to that. Turn this cart around. Oh, I'm an idiot wearing a helmet like that. The gray helmets are stupid. They are stupid. What do they do? Other than that. Rob still has no idea. Oh, I love we get to see him twice throughout these clips. I feel I've been Bruce Bolton remiss in my duties. I've given you meat, oh, so wine, music, wants her to see. He wants her. He looks down at his hand. Check it out. Pull my sleeve back. My king back. has married, see and I owe my new queen a wedding gift. He does. Gift. He's in full armor. He's in oh, God. There you go. Well, they at least saved us from having to see the slaughter. They cut before that, but that's the that's the lead up. It all starts to go sideways. I said I was coming back to it. The hound approaches. He says I've got salt pork. Guy says you can leave. The feast is over. He says, but I've got pig's feet. <laughs> so consistent because remember when he's sitting there eating pig's feet and Arya comes up and he's yeah. like, best part of the animal, and yeah. he shakes it at her. Like this is the hound being like, well, how could you turn away pig's feet? <laughs> <laughs> I brought you ambrosia. Come on. Yeah. This is, uh, this is like the caviar of Westeros. Yeah. I've got pig's feet in here. You can't turn me away. <laughs> but, I did, you know, they didn't show this in this clip. But the Hound does piece together what's happening pretty quick. Yeah, he's looking around. He's seeing the soldiers in full armor and formation marching out of the castle. He's seeing this building aggression that isn't natural for a kind of feast to occur. And I can tell you, if he didn't piece that together as fast as he did... Who knows if him and Arya would have got out of there? Because remember, he has to take his sword out at one point and yeah. just kind of fight his way out because all hell's broken loose. Oh, he has to knock Arya practically out to get her out of the, out of the room. Yeah. Um, yeah. This episode was a masterstroke in terms of just the amount of tension it started to build. Because most of the episode, for like the first 30 minutes, is just puppies and rainbows. They've brokered a new alliance. She's Talissa's announced that she's pregnant. Fred, and she's gonna And she's going to name him Ed. She's going to name him Ned. <laughs> Perfect. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And then you hear the rains of Castamere. Oh, and then the doors close. <laughs> and, I, and, the rain, and then this music picks up. Then the soldiers start marching out. And you're right there with Catelyn. 
you're feeling everything that's going through her mind, which you said is so authentic to the books that it's told from her perspective as all of this starts to go down. It's just emotionally horrible and perfect at the same time. But I'd like to draw a parallel. Please. Because what they did is this is a this is a scene where Catelyn and her family and her forces are slaughtering. Yeah. Um, devastating her family. Mm-hmm. But they give her, and through George, they give her this little bit of a moment where she picks up what's happening before everybody else. Oh, yeah. And so it, 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 it gives the character something where it says, hey, she's not an idiot. No, no, no. She figured out what was going on here and tried to do something and act appropriately. And I will draw the parallel to season six when Marjorie Terrell mm-hmm. is in the Sept of Baylor. Mm-hmm. And Cersei's not showing up. Why is Cersei not showing up? And they give Marjorie that little moment where she goes, we're in trouble here. We got to go. Yeah. They both die, and they both devastate their household. I mean, the Terrells much more, because it actually ended their household. But but I do like that the show gave these two characters who they spent a lot of time showing are very confident women mm-hmm. uh, within this sort of society. Um, you know, they, they figured it out. Cal in particular is often unfairly stigmatized as being dumb, and it's just really not fair to her character. She makes a couple of headstrong decisions that in retrospect weren't wise in terms of capturing Tyrion, in terms of letting Jamie Lannister yep. go. But they're perfectly understandable positions given what her objectives were in terms of protecting her family. She's actually one of the more important strate- uh, st- uh, strategic advisors of Rob throughout most of the show and the books. And I love that, they, again, she's the first one that clues in. Everybody else is just partying. Rob's still making kissy faces with Talissa. Yeah, that, oof. And then I also love that we're going to, to see Walter Frey from two, di- in two different faces over the course of these clips. Yep. As I hated that man throughout the course of the Red Wedding Eclipses. He's just gleefully drinking down and chewing as he's watching the carnage unfold before him. Yeah, and that actor acts it really well. Second time I'm going to shout out that actor because he, uh, he, stir- it, he when it starts, he's mm-hmm. looking around kind of nervously. Yeah. And then he kind of settles into a comfort of saying, yep, we did it. This is, yeah. this is going to be okay. And then it, it all culminates with the next morning. He's just up eating a sausage. <laughs> I'm Lord of Riverrun. Yeah, having a, having a polite conversation with Bruce Bolton, who, again, I love the actor who played him, too. I love the just casual pleasure that he gets in just wanting Catelyn to know before it happens. Yep, just like, he's got his hand out. Unnecessarily, his hand is out on the table. He's just looking down at it. And she turns to him. She's already suspecting something's wrong, and I don't know if she's looking to him for support or looking to him because she actually suspects he might be involved in some I way. I would think B. Uh, and he looks her right in the eye and just casually looks down at his hand. He wants her to know what's about to happen before it does. He's getting pleasure out of this. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it, it, there's so many small things that they did right yeah. um, with this, and, and, and it makes me actually feel really good for the fan base, uh, especially the book fan base, mm-hmm. but also the showrunners themselves because they said that when, when they pitched the idea to HBO and then ultimately to George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. one of the things they were most excited about is filming The Red Wedding. For good reason. They were like, we think about it. If we get this approved, mm-hmm. <laughs> we get this funded, and we get season one off the ground, and the ratings aren't bad, we're going to be able to film the Red Wedding. I can totally get how they were getting because it's a it's a hell of a moment. Uh, great episode. Of course, it should be in the hashtag for the throne clips. Anything right. else you want to say about the Red Wedding before we move on? I think this is an example of another episode that I've probably not watched for probably, what, three or four years now? And all the pain and drama is coming right back to the surface. All right. Well, when we do the Game of Thrones watch party for season eight, I'm going to have the big projector. Mm-hmm. Probably going to have to throw that, that, that episode up. That one, it's one of the finest episodes of television ever. I actually recently saw this. TV Guide did their best episodes of the 20th century. 
uh, it was the 20th or 21st century. We wanted to. This was number three on their list of all the best episodes of all time. Interesting. And The Ringer, I don't know if you go to the theringer.com, mm-hmm. um, they did their best, I think, 50 television episodes of like television's golden age. Yeah. Like basically since probably Sopranos. And uh, The Red Wedding was number one. It deserves it. It. it, it God, I mean. By this, by this point, I'd read the books. Have you read the books at this point? By no, I didn't read the books until the show caught up to the books. Gotcha. Um, I'd read the books, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. But it was still so emotionally powerful to see it played out live and to see them so expertly build the tension as every little piece is falling into play that a disaster is about to occur. Perfect television. Completely agree. Incredible. Enjoyed it. Okay, now let's move to the next clip. Uh, we've got four left. The next one um, needs no introduction. The title, I think, does it. Jon Snow's Resurrection. So this is Melisandre reciting what I believe is a Valerian prayer mm-hmm. over Jon's dead body. She looks a little frazzled. I wouldn't say it's a confident look. He tries it again. She knows the word, but she's never done it before. She just says, please, dear. She knows they're thinking. I almost want to believe it's that final humility that does it. Maybe. Or maybe it was always going to happen. Maybe well, she didn't even have to do this. And it would have happened. That's the line of Jones, only the pendant man shall pass. Yep, she looks devastated here. It's not happening for her. She looks at Davos. Davos goes, well, you tried. Oh, she's almost in tears. I didn't notice that. First time I watched it. Tormund walks out. Tormund's seen enough. He's leaving. John's dead. He's dead. Ed's there, of course. It's his cluster of John's closest friends. Melisandre leaves. Ghost is there. Ghost better play a role in the next season. Ghost has to. Davos stays around. He's the last to leave. Looking at his dead body. I think Davos really did think John got a raw deal here. Shot of John. Really gouged him up good. How much do you think Kit Harrington got paid to be a corpse in this episode? <sighs> Probably half a million dollars. <laughs> What are we doing with our lives, sir? All right. So Davos starts, does walk out. There it is. Ghost knows it. Ghost wakes up. That's when you know. (laughs) Breathe. 
John takes that first breath. And I love how realistic it is. Like, if you don't have air in your lungs, like, the, the first few gasps are going to be really, <laughs> really <laughs> desperate. Um, but I remember uh, my my uh, memory of, of season six, um, you know, of course, John dies at the end, end of season five. Mm-hmm. Um, we all speculated he was coming back. I mean, we, it was a lot of theories in the fandom. As soon as we read Dance of Dragons, we were like, well, Melisandre happens to be there. They already did the thing where they showed that the Red God can reanimate somebody through mm-hmm. Beric Dondarrion. Um, but I remember telling you, and I told my wife too, I was like, I was so stressed out. I was like, I just want to see him come back to life. As soon as I see him come back, I can relax. But like, I just need to know, because yeah. we didn't know for sure. And I was like 98% sure he's coming back, yeah. but I just needed to see that first breath. So what we just watched there, mm-hmm. like, it, it brought my stress level down like 75%. I was, I was watching it on my, I was like, okay, all right, I'm good again. I'm not going to be on edge. I'm not going to be walking around the house just muttering to myself. Because <laughs> once we lost Ned Stark, and once they kind of lost track of what Tyrion's plot should be, John has kind of really been the emotional hero of the show. Absolutely. Yeah, he's the one that you can kind of look up to as a sort of a moral, uh, like, lodestone. We have Danny as kind of an alternative, but I've never felt really the same emotional connection to her. John's been the one that's been in the gutter with people fighting his way up. Absolutely. Earning everything that he's, that he's achieved. I just, like, <laughs> I just needed to know. Yeah. I see him with that first breath. Okay, I can go back to normal. But man, from the end of season five until the big, I guess this was episode two, the end yeah. of episode two of season six, that was a hot mess when I was thinking. Oh, okay. when, we, when, we, <coughs> when we finished Dance of Dragons, particularly once we were going through building up to this episode, we theorized endlessly about, okay, well, obviously they can't kill John. They can't. It can't happen. We refused to accept that it was possible that John was permanently dead. Right. And so we theorized nonstop about different ways. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, in the books, last word he says is ghost. We talked about maybe that Rob had jumped into Grey Wind at the Red Wedding. He's going to be in ghost, and then and then maybe Melisandre could pull him out of ghost. How does that happen? I don't know, but it could happen. It could do it. Or, 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 or Barrack. We've seen Barrack. We've yep. torment, uh, um, uh, Thoros, thank you. Yeah. Uh, breathe the life into Barrack. Uh, maybe Melisandre does the same same spell. I mean, it's thought that she's brought back from the life in some way. Maybe she learned it when she was essentially brought back from the dead. (laughs) All of these were picking at straws because we had really no real basis to think it was actually possible for John to come back. We just emotionally thought it couldn't be the case he was permanently gone. Yeah, no, and I I remember... (laughs) So for me... um, I, when I first read Dance of Dragons, said, well, maybe he just survived his injuries. You like, did. That, that, that actually had a lot of credence that we didn't see him die. But then Martin, just offhanded at a Comic-Con, or a con, I don't know if it was Comic-Con, yeah. said, oh, yeah, he's dead at the end of <laughs> Dance of Dragons. And I was like, what? Like, what? You can't just say that? Like, I've spent now months, and if not yeah. years, crafting this theory that he actually survives his wounds. I think you even just forwarded me that interview and just said, what the fuck? Yeah, just like, well, how can you do it? Like, George will do that. Like, yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. you ask him, like, a, a very basic question, and he evades it. Yeah. And then other times, he'll just throw out something, and you're like, whoa, holy shit. Like, when he's just like, yeah, yeah, Blood Raven took Dark Sister north of the wall. He's like, oh, okay, so there's another Valerian steel sword north of the wall? The last of the ancestral blades of House Targaryen is hanging out up there for Bran to potentially find? Which he just dropped as if it was nothing. So he's, he, George is always interesting when he uh, he's giving these interviews. But yeah. Loved the clip. Uh, it, it reduced my stress level, uh, and I, I kind of knew he was coming back. But um, when he did come back, I felt good about it. And then the next step for me was, well, he's got to get out of the Night's Watch. Yeah, and we debated then again. Well, 
it, it, is, it is a vow that is only good until your death. As George R. R. Bard made abundantly clear, he died. Yeah, and so John <coughs> just basically was like, yeah. Vow, vow completed. <laughs> if I was married, that one would be done too. Which I feel like if this whole thing plays out similarly in the books, that it, more is going to be made among the Northern Lords that he's a deserter. There was very little mm. mention of that mm-hmm. in the show. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he talked with a lot of Northern Lords, or a lot of Northern Lords talked about him without really knowing or believing that he actually died. Right. So in their minds, he should be a deserter and he should be executed. Like instead, he's walking around saying, hey, come join me in, an, in a fight. Mm-hmm. Like, what? And I'm willing to bet you that in the books, we're not going to get John back for a while. I'm betting that, again, given that same as Rob did, his last words being ghost. You mean more than the seven years it's taken to write wins a winner? Because we're not getting well, back for a while. Well, yes. <laughs> Let's say he comes back and wins the winner. It's not going to happen before the first half of the book, I don't think. I think first half? I think it's going to be a long time. Well, his body will decompose. I, yeah, I think he might. I, this is a lot. I mean, well, notably, he purposely has put bodies down in the cold cells before that are they're buried in the wall because it preserves them longer. So they could potentially do that as a way of preserving him in you know, um, in I forget the word right that preserving preserving his body, body longer. But I really think we're going to have chapters potentially of John in Ghost, or at least John's going to be in Ghost for a while, and that will be a key plot point. I think in some ways the show was afraid to keep keep to keep Jon Snow gone too long in a way I don't think the book is going to go. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of folks in the fandom think that. Um, I tend to think it'll happen a little sooner than halfway before uh, through the Winds of Winter, but at this point, Winds I don't of, know. At this point, Winds of Winter could be three thousand pages if it ever comes out. So the halfway thing might need to be dialed back. Winds in four parts. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your entire Lord of the Rings volumes. Have fun. Okay, so we have watched some devastating clips. We have watched Hold the Door, Hold the Door. We've watched Hard Home. We've watched Ned get his head cut off. We have watched. The pain that is the red wedding. Spencer, let's feel good. We're going to the purple wedding. Die, you little prick. <laughs> well, what are they going to show us in this? Where are we going to start? I have absolutely no, no idea. Early, we're going to see him choke. Can we leave now? Oh, thanks. Can we leave now? The pigeon pie. Which actually blows to our ankle. Yeah. A bird shit in Uncle! Where are you going? You're my top pair, remember? I like my so change out of these wet yeah. clothes, Your Grace. No, 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 no. You're perfect the way you are. Serve me my one. Everyone there. Hi, up. <laughs> this pie is dry. Even Marjorie. Uh oh. She looks on. Anna is watching the cup of wine. She's watching him die. Joffrey takes a sip. He's washing down. <laughs> Big sip. But please, Your Grace, Lady Sansa, is no. very tired. <coughs> no, you wait here. <coughs> Uh-oh. <coughs> His Grace is choking. <coughs> Your Grace. <coughs> oh, he drinks more wine. <coughs> now Cersei's concerned, Tommen's concerned. <coughs> He's choking. choking. I'm the poor boy. <laughs> she yells, help the poor boy. Oh, Alina, you're the Idiot, best. help your king! Wait! Oh, come on, give us more than that. <laughs> we didn't see Cersei over the body. We didn't see Tywin uh, scream to close the city. But what we did see 
is that little prick, Joffrey Baratheon, met his end at what we later learn is the hand of Oluna Tyrell. With no small amount of help from Peter Baelish, of course. Yes, of course, of course. But I do, one thing I liked about that scene is, of course I liked that he died. And, and by the way, I hadn't read the books before I watched the show. Hmm. And this was episode two of season four. Yeah. I was not quite expecting the king to die no. in episode no. two of the season. So it blew me away, obviously. Uh, but I did like that everyone there, Cersei included, mm-hmm. was giving a look that showed Joffrey was out of line. Here. Yeah, yeah. They all barely tolerate him. Cersei, of course, loves him because she unconditionally loves her children, at least in her own twisted way. But they all know that he is un- a detriment to their cause. They all know that he's inherently a problem. Um but, yeah, as the scene plays out farther, it was so marvelously acted by Lena Headley. And um, however you pronounce the actor who plays Jamie Lannister, I can never pronounce his name. Nikolai, Nikolai Holsta-Waldo. You are good at that. Um, the utter pained horror in their faces as they cradle and watch their son die. And they worked hard on making that makeup unpleasant as we watched well, him go out. It's the reason they call it the Purple Wedding. Oh, uh, yeah. He uh, took it and tell me, uh, this might get a little book nerd bitch in here. Um, I believe... Uh, that he took uh, a poison called the Strangler. You are good, sir. Well done. Um, which actually, uh, it, it literally strangles you, and you die uh, of choking to death mm-hmm. um, by not being able to just get air up your, your sort of your esophagus mm-hmm. uh, or down your esophagus. Um, and later, we find out in Season 7 that Elena Tyrell didn't quite know what the Strangler entailed. She did not know it was going to be this ugly. She wanted it to kind of be quick and swift. Yeah. And instead... It was pretty bad. Now, it was bad in the show, worse in the books. In the books, he actually, because he can feel that he can't get air down his throat, he starts to try to rip at his esophagus mm-hmm. to get air in there, which we all hate Joffrey, but that's a pretty tough scene. Oh, yeah. And they did still well in the show, too, in terms of when when you see him just looking up at the sky, he's all the breath possible, I mean, um, utterly deprived of breath, his face starts to hemorrhage. Various blood vessels and capillaries start to break it's from his desperate desire to get any air into his lungs. It is. Yeah, and if you're following along with us on the, the Game of Thrones YouTube channel, the thumbnail for this video is actually what you're talking about. Yeah. It's that look with the busted blood vessels. And I'll tell you another thing about this picture that I think is so interesting is that in his last moments, he looks to his mother like, help me. Can you, can you help me? A desperate child looking for some form of protection. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> I felt like the, we all, for us that have read the books, we were debating how long it would take for the show to jump to the Purple Wedding. Because it happens fairly quick in the in the books after the Red Wedding, too. Yep. But I felt like the show purposely made it, like, episode two. Was it episode two of season Episode two of season four. Because we needed some form of comeback. We needed some form of emotional revenge on what the Lannisters and all of their friends had brought on the Starks. And they could not deny it from us for too long. Right, and this was kind of when I was like, okay, the show is back, because as I've told you many times... I watched The Red Wedding. I just downloaded it, and I was watching it. I lived in D.C. for about a year. Um, uh, I, I moved from my job, and I watched The Red Wedding. I remember, like, I didn't even know there was an episode 10 mm-hmm. of season three. I just kind of closed my laptop, and I was like, okay, all right, well, that's done. <laughs> Second time I thought it was done. I thought it was a miniseries in season one because Ned died, and then after The Red Wedding, I thought there's no way they could carry on. But then I saw The Purple Wedding, and I thought, okay, well, there's still a little – because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now, now you go, well, who's going to be king? And how's it going to work with Tommen? And what's his personality? Yep. I remember there's a lot of articles like having to explain to the casual viewer who Tommen is, 
why Tommen's going to be king, what we know of Tommen from the books, right? right. Like, yeah. so it it, it it was great because uh, I think it was well executed, mm-hmm. great plot point for a casual fan. We all hated Joffrey, but then it also begat questions, which Very made awesome. uh, season four super interesting. All right. Uh, do we have one or two left? We've like got two left. Up until now, we have not seen Daenerys of House Targaryen, uh, the Stormborn. The Khaleesi, but now we have one of two final videos that address Danny's plot. This one from season one, titled Not a Queen, a Khaleesi. <laughs> Danny's eating the horse heart. God, this was hard. This was disgusting to watch. <laughs> I don't I haven't ever seen a horse heart, but that looks like a horse heart. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It does. <laughs> Seems right. I think she said before that it was basically uh, gelatin mixed with plastic. She has to eat Huge, the whole like, time. valves. Hope that wasn't my wolves. She's doing well. She'll never keep it down. She's getting it. Weird tradition here where the police get pregnant and she's like, Raw horse dog. Mm-hmm. She's doing it. It's probably like Carrie. Yeah, Carrie. Yeah, Very Very much Stephen King. <laughs> I know what she's saying. Prince is riding. Yeah. I've heard the thunder of his hooves. Swift as the wind he rides. His enemies will cower before him. The series is clearly Their wives rattled. will weep oh, yeah. tears of blood. She's going to have a boy. He's gone on it. He won't be a real Targaryen. He won't be a true dragon. Yeah, sure. All right, she's got it down. He's going to stay there. Looks like a little bit comes up. She forces it back down. Got got a lot of horse heart up, Chuck. Okay, I see no vomit. the people into a single kalasar. All the people of the world will be his herd. Prince rides inside. If you're a brother. He's gone. Yeah. 
shoes, Tony. Yeah, he's just, the cow's just walking around. Truly is a queen today. <laughs> yep, the series left. Sorry, George. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was uh, a very interesting scene. Danny in season one eating the horse heart. She's already pregnant with Cal Drogo's son. She gets the horse heart down. Good omen um, mm -hmm. for the Dothraki. One thing I'd like to point out here um, is that they didn't do as much in the show to talk about Danny's training for eating the horse heart. True. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, the, the, sh the in the books it's really detailed how much she actually how much how important the various crones of Vistothrak are how important these customs and ceremonies are establishing her respect within the tribe. Women have an interesting role in Dothraki society where they don't really necessarily have formal military command of the hordes, but the crones, the former Khaleesi's that are sent off there after they've lost lost a practical command, have absolute cultural power within the Dothraki. Their endorsement, their acceptance, their embrace of you as being part of their culture and part of this prophecy that they're tying into is essential for you having the respect of the hordes. Yep. So Danny works hard to prepare for this moment because if the crones, it's the crones, I'm breaking right now, but the, the, very, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Women, the women of Voice of Thrak, uh, don't accept her now. If she doesn't accomplish the ceremony, she's essentially done. As much as Cal Drogo loves her, as much as the people seemingly have gotten behind her, this ceremony is the culmination of everything she's been striving for in terms of finally earning the loyalty of the Dothraki people. And I, the final thing I'll point out, and then we'll get to the, the final hashtag for the Thrones video, um, is that Jorah is explaining to Viserys what the stallion who mounts the world is. Mm -hmm. It's a single leader that will unite all of the Kalasars into one powerful army. What we couldn't have known in season one, but we know now, is Danny is the stallion that mounts the world because she does, in fact, unite all of the Do uh, Dothraki and all the Kalasars. And, and is rapidly aimed to conquer much of the known world. Uh, I love even just the little little details, like the name she picks for her son, Rhaegar. As Rhaegar. Said, it's referencing back to the brother that she never met, Rhaegar Targaryen, but it's including the Dothraki style of language. It adds the go at the end of it. Yep. It very much symbolizes how she views herself now. She is a Targaryen princess, but she has fully embraced the Dothraki people. Hence the name of the video, not a queen, a Khaleesi. Khaleesi. All right, we move on. Hashtag for the throne. Um, this one doesn't have a title. I'm wondering if this is going to be an introductory one, we'll say. Yeah, let's see. You 4.2 million times. This is. This is an introductory video. But you know what? Let's watch it. It's still fun. I like this uh, music, so let's, uh, let's listen to it. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win. Or you die. There's a lot of great moments right here. That doesn't get you hyped for season eight. I don't know what to tell you. We've had seven good years, man. We have had seven great years. We're going to have a, a ninth, I guess. We didn't have a great eighth because nothing nothing came out of this one. 
<laughs> but we'll have a good ninth year. Uh, had a lot of fun rewatching some of these clips with you, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think clearly we're going to get to a recap of all the seasons before no. season nine. So this allowed us to talk about some of the sort of seminal moments of the show that we otherwise wouldn't get to before uh, the finale. Mm-hmm. Spencer, anything else you want to say about the hashtag for the throne recap clip? episode of the GOT Guy Quest podcast. Just that I hope they're not done with it. There are so many other great scenes over the course of the show that they could have brief little moments for, and I would delight discussing them with you if we have that opportunity. Uh, agreed 100%. Uh, enjoyed having you in person mm-hmm. for the GOT Guy Questions podcast. If you hung in there with us this long, we appreciate you. Thank you for coming around. Uh, if you have a question, comment, or a request, go to www.makingtalks.com, upper right-hand corner, click contact us, and... Uh, your message will feed directly to me. It does not go to Spencer. Spencer is not bothered with these sorts of things. You can also... Spencer doesn't understand technology. Sorry. Speaking of things Spencer's not bothered with, you can go to www.facebook.com slash Talks and check out our uh, Mangum Talks Facebook page. You can get all of our podcasts on Stitcher and iTunes or at mangumtalks.com. And when I say all of our podcasts, I mean Mangum Reads with uh, BJ and Spencer, which is really a high-end fantasy sci-fi uh, book Club or the GOT Got Questions podcast, which you're listening to now, or Mango Talk Hoops with myself and Levi. We talk about all things basketball and then whiskey on the weekends, which is a blast. We all get together, uh, usually over Skype, sometimes in person. We have those 